everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New Life Church Rewind Podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, Michael, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Dave. Hey, everybody. And We're really doing this thing. Episode two. Episode two. They didn't cancel us yet. Not, not yet. All right. <laughs> So we're moving along in our summer series on David, Mm -hmm. and now we're in week two. And what was the title of this week's sermon, Pastor Dave? The Courageous Heart. The Courageous Heart. So now we're kind of shifting into uh, one of the most famous Mm -hmm, stories mm -hmm. that you've ever heard. Uh, This (laughs) this story transcends not just the Bible, but people talk about this uh, David and Goliath story. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be kind of parked right here in that story. And I'm sure you've already listened to the sermon. So the first thing I need to know, mm-hmm. because I don't know, mm-hmm. what are flannel graphs? This is something you don't know never, what a flannel graph I have is? never heard of this before in my life. All right, so flannel graphs are anybody who's been to church as a, as a Sunday school kid uh, back in the day knows what a flannel graph is. It's basically just flannel. It's flannel on a board and little characters made out of flannel. And if you put flannel on flannel, it sticks. So the this is before PowerPoint and animation. We would the the teacher would animate the story, the Bible story, to the kids with these little flannel characters and flannel scenes, and yeah, it's 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 pretty classic and Sunday I, school thing. I know um, Christian people aren't <laughs> supposed to be watching South Park, but as you're describing this, <laughs> that's all I can picture the, is like this weird, yeah, uh, like animation thing that um, yeah you just move with your hands you just move the guys yeah. around and you make them talk and, things uh, our children will will never probably understand, never understand never yeah understand. Also, i'm pretty i'm a big advocate for the flannel graph and yeah. i know ariel uses it sometimes so interesting maybe we'll have to bring that back <laughs> so the first kind of topic that uh you talked about that i wanted to flesh out a little bit more is this idea of quote unquote toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So the culture today has a definition of that. And what would you say that that is, just briefly? I think it's over uh, the concept of over-aggression, controlling, um, trying to be the alpha all the time. And uh, I think we used to call it chauvinism is what we used to call it. And now it's called toxic masculinity. And I think when we talk about masculinity, uh, one of the things that we're not doing in our culture is supporting masculinity. Um, and I think that's why we have a lot of uh, problems with men understanding what their role are in society. So we kind of have this misunderstanding of what the definition of masculinity I is. I think so. Yeah. Uh, it almost makes me think um, the most masculine of all people, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, he said, mm-hmm. the meek shall inherit the right. earth. Right. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get this idea that meekness equals weakness, right. but that's not really true, is it? No, and I think I think Jesus being the Messiah and David being the, uh, you know, he was called the son of David. Mm. I think when we look at the life of David, we can see how David was, there's no way David could be res- uh, called weak, but he had a, a different way of looking at the world than per se Saul. Saul was all about himself. We could maybe put Saul underneath the category of a toxic man, you know. And uh, David was almost like a, um, he was interesting character because he was a warrior. Mm -hmm. He was a statesman. He was a king. So much so that he wasn't even allowed to build the temple because he had so much blood on his hands. But he was also a romantic and he liked music and dancing and art. So he was actually really an eccentric character. He's almost like a, you know, Lord forgive me, he's kind of like Iron Man in the new movies. Like yeah. he's the playboy yeah. philanthropist. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was he was really a, um, 
an everyman. He yeah. wasn't this like grunt of a man. That that's kind of what Saul almost came off like. Right. We talked about him last week. I, I, one of the things David does really well too is he builds really good male relationships. Mm-hmm. Like he's not afraid to have uh, close relationships with other guys, and uh, and I think you know we'll we'll probably talk about that in the future down the road, but. Um, David has very, very tight relationships with other guys and uh, and he's still a man's man, you know? Right, and so that's kind of where the culture has gone wrong, where we look at today that um, like men's culture is almost a bad thing. Yeah. Like too many men together yeah, or right. men can't have a, a social club mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe the men in a church shouldn't be praying together individually that there's like, what's going on right. or there's this thing. And so I almost feel like the culture's been pushing back against there's some this, backlash to this, that this idea of but you can't masculinity mm-hmm. is something that is learned. Mm-hmm. So how can uh, a boy learn it if he's not exposed to it? So there there's this idea that um, we're pushing back against men being men. Well, you again. had said earlier. I mean, we were talking about it earlier about um, there are some influencers out now that are taking advantage of this concept of this vacancy in in male influence. And and some of it's good, some of it's not so good. A perfect example of that is, um, I think it was during COVID, they, were, they made this documentary about this man named Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. And if, you may or may not have heard of this man, but mm-hmm. he's, um, I, I don't know if I'd call him a believer just yet, but I'd say he's at least a sympathetic to the Christian worldview. Yeah. And base, his basic message is telling young men, mm-hmm. wake up in the morning, make your bed, get your life in order. You know, you have to understand that there's a degree of suffering in life. Mm-hmm. And these young people, especially young men, they flock to him yep. and they get dressed up and they go to the, the lecture. Could you imagine like yeah, no. people showing up to a lecture? And there's a lot of... Um, you know, you agree with some of what he says, some of what he doesn't say, but there's a lot of pushback. Well, the culture hates him in a lot like of ways. That. Yeah. So they call these people influencers. And the question I want to ask you, at because you're a pastor, mm-hmm. do you think that these male influencers almost represent the need that secular people have for a pastor? They know they need oh, absolutely. it, but they don't know where to find it. So they're, you know, if the church is almost failing in its role to provide that, so now we see this growth of influencers as it is. I think, unfortunately, and I'm not the only one saying this, there's other uh, pastors out there, that we have uh, really failed men in church culture. Um, a lot of church culture has, has been very much uh, feminized mm-hmm. um, from our expression to our uh, a way of doing, uh, you know, it's very uh, female-centric in how we organize, even at worship service. Um, so sometimes I think, I think men have felt left out and, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, if you can, if you can get a, a husband and a father to, to come to church, you'll, you'll, you'll change the entire family. Um, for some reason, it doesn't seem to follow that trend when, when the mom is the only one serving the Lord. And, and it's sad. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, that's sad. And, uh, there's a lot of wonderful uh, Christian women out there who are trying their best to raise young men. Um, but when the father is involved, uh, the, the stats go way up for those kids remaining in the church, remaining, uh, faithful to God. And it goes way down when the dad's not involved. I don't, 
it's just, it's tragic. Right, and I think the church has a role going forward, at least in our American culture, Western culture, to empower men yeah. to understand that masculinity mm-hmm. in its rightful order mm-hmm. is a powerful thing. It's what God made us to do. Right. And um, we have to kind of be able to thread the needle between being a toxic male where you know, mm-hmm. we don't want the singing and we don't want the praying and right. all that. Like David, we have to be able to do both, yeah. but understand what our right role is. And I think I think just as and there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. By the way, I don't want to say 100%. that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it, we used to call it chauvinism. We used to, you know, the overbearing man and the abusive man. Absolutely, we we're not saying there's no such thing as that. But I think there's sometimes even more danger. And I said it on Sunday in the sermon with this concept of a passive masculinity, where men, uh, whether by their own uh, thoughts and, and, and ideas or because they've been uh, beaten down by the culture, they just don't show up anymore. They're, they're, just, they're just passive. They're letting life uh, happen to them instead of them happening to life. So, so let's talk about someone who did show up big, yep. who did what he was supposed to do. So mm-hmm. this is the most famous story probably of David's life, the David and Goliath story. And David showed up big here. Mm-hmm. But you did kind of hint that he probably wasn't completely altruistic in his motives mm-hmm. for why he was on the battlefront. Right. And I honestly don't think that um, that makes him bad either. I think uh, doing good things for good outcomes is not necessarily a bad thing. But um, when he hears about what Saul will do for the man who takes out Goliath, he gets very interested very quickly. Right. It's kind of like today where... Um, you know, we believe in tithing. We think right. tithing's good, mm. but take the tax return. Right. Like there, sometimes there are good things that come through our doing good things for God. I guess the question would be, would David had done it without the incentives? I think he would have, but I do think the incentives were, were appealing to him. One, one of, uh, I, I think um, the marrying of Saul's daughter, eh, I, I'm not really thinking that that was, the big one I think was the tax uh, the tax deferment of his family. You, if you go back to last week's uh, rewind, we talked about how David was kind of despised by his parents because of possibly being considered an illegitimate child. Um, I think any way in which David could help the family and bring honor to his family uh, was something that was very interesting to David. And it was said that uh, the person who took out Goliath would be exempt from taxes uh, in Israel. And David seems to be very interested in that because I think he he's looking for a way to make his name even in his own family. And uh, and then we see Eliab, who's right next to him, again, getting ticked at David for even asking the question. And David has this really hilarious, what did I do now? <laughs> like, this is happening a lot. He's getting taken down by his brothers a lot. Yeah, it's almost like his brother's like, give me the cheese yeah. and get out of here. <laughs> like, scram, yeah, get you're, out of here. you're, yeah, you're exactly. bothering me. Yeah. So that brings us to the battlefront. Yeah. And this is the thing that's always makes it seem like a fairy tale because Goliath right. is described as this giant, and mm-hmm. I've said it before, not like a fee fi fo giant <laughs> yeah. like, or something, but um, he has a- But if you look at the storybooks- of like kids storybooks of the story, he almost is the fee fi fo And this is another thing we don't want to go down, but sometimes this, um, this is how we- 
when we make Bible stories seem like fairy tales, yeah, cartoons. It, it almost cuts against us trying to use it as an evangelistic tool. But no, I hear you. Yeah. So Goliath was either nine and a half feet tall mm-hmm. at the biggest, right. but he might've been maybe six and a half feet tall. Yes. So not, you don't need this necessarily this supernatural mm-hmm. um, image of how big Goliath was, but he was a big dude. And all that comes down to is a difference in reading between the Egyptian cubit and the Middle Eastern cubit. Okay, um, that's where it comes down to. There's a there's a there's a distinction between the two measure measuring uh, sticks, and uh, it's a significant difference. Honestly, Not nine and a half feet and six and a half feet. It's a different. That's true. So, how big do we think David was? Um, there's really not an indication. I'll just push back against you a second. This might have been why Saul's armor was so clunky on David. Yes. So he must have been at least smaller than Saul. Yes. David. Well, Saul, if we look back in in the coronation of Saul, he was a head, the Bible says he was a head and shoulders above all the regular sized men. So he was pretty tall. I mean, if he was six six feet, at least. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. And so when we look at the size of Saul, Mm -hmm. the king who was supposed to fight Goliath Mm -hmm. and Goliath, Mm -hmm. they're almost the, relatively speaking, the same size. They're like the biggest dude on each team, Mm -hmm. but Saul kind of wusses out. Yeah. And, uh, And David steps up because he's fighting a different battle. I mean, Saul's fighting, Saul is fighting a battle here, but it is not the Philistines. Mm-hmm. He's fighting an internal battle here. He's fighting a battle of uh, of inadequacy. He's fighting a battle of uh, being passed over. He's fighting a battle that's very spiritual in nature. Um, and as we talked about last week, even uh, demonically influenced in nature. Um, so Saul's fighting a different battle and he, he he's the rightful guy to be going up against this, this behemoth in, in Goliath. And uh, he's not. And honestly, there's indications that Eliab, David's brother, was similar in height and bearing to Saul. That's why Samuel thought he was the guy. And here Eliab is running from the lines too. And that's what probably ticks him off about David's arrogance. So to get the timeline right, we talked last week about how this evil spirit um, was upon Saul after the Holy Spirit left. Right. So at this moment, mm-hmm. when we're kind of going through this battle, that evil spirit likely is upon Saul at that time if the timeline's kind of right. Yeah, he's he's struggling with some kind of a a spirit of inadequacy. Uh, uh, some uh, some people believe that this is a very uh, depressed spirit, a uh, spirit of depression, anxiety. We, we might look at that as a mental health issue right now in our, mm-hmm. our current culture um, because it takes um, some kind of a remedy for this thing to even abate. That's why David is brought in to play the harp for him. Isn't that crazy how God like orchestrates David's training days of being right underneath Saul's feet without Saul knowing it? I mean, yeah, and we kind of talked about that last week. Yeah. This was kind of like a, a sneak peek or yeah, exactly. internship. Internship, and, um, yeah. Yeah, he, if you kind of get that image how Saul lays down on the leather couch yep. and David plays this harp to him, it's almost like a therapy it's session. It's a therapy session, of some, absolutely. Of some kind. So- What's interesting about scripture and God's word all the time is really this passage should say Saul versus Goliath, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. And 
for whatever reason, Saul just does not want to be the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's something that a lot of men deal with today that um, we talked earlier about like this idea that men are kind of depressed in our culture. They're kind of said, oh, you don't want to be toxic. So do we avoid being the hero of the, our own story that God has written for us? Mm-hmm. Are, are most of us more like Saul than David? I think there's a tendency towards that because, I mean, when you look at the descriptions of of, of Satan, he's often called the prince of the power of the air. Mm. And um, I think there's no better understanding of uh, the deception and the uh, oppression of Satan in our culture than the entire media world telling men that they're, they're, they're not good enough. I mean, the Homer Simpsons of the world, the, the Al Bundys of the world, you know, these, I'm dating yeah. myself here a little bit, but um, yeah. that men are stupid and women are smart. Men are toxic and women are having everything together. Um, yeah, just go sit on the couch, yep. watch your sports ball. Yeah. Drink your beer or whatever yeah. you like to do. Don't and, show up. And, and don't show up. Yeah, because um, don't mansplain. Don't mansplain, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think- I think Because your presence here is only for the negative. Right. And 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 our culture, the 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 airwaves of our culture, the power of the air, is is selling this message to men that uh, they're they're not good enough and they never will be. And every time they try to do something significant, they're they're slapped down. And uh, I think the pendulum is starting to swing because I think guys are getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. I think guys are getting tired of it. And. Um, and even like we were talking about influencers earlier, there's there's some significant influencers, even in like uh, uh, pop culture, and they're not even the best ones. They're kind of toxic. They are toxic in their messaging sometimes, but men are gravitating towards it because uh, they're tired of getting, uh, tired of getting, I don't know, belittled. Right, so th- I think this is a big moment for the church because if the men in the culture are getting tired of it, mm-hmm what are they then going to seek out? Right. So I think it's important that we continue to talk in the church about um, how God designed men Mm -hmm. and used in its right order is just a a wonderful thing. And I think that's why David is such a good study for men and for for women too, because uh, what should women look for in a man, right? Um, Not perfection. Because you're not going to find not, that in not David perfection, either. right? You're not going to find that, and that's why David's so good uh, as a as a as a study tool for what um, guys got problems. But um, well, as we go into this through the series, we'll see how he responds to his problems, and that's what needs to happen. So, so can we finally put to bed this phrase? Something was a quote unquote David and Goliath story. Because you talked about this in your sermon a bit, how what that really means mm-hmm. in when you say that is that it's an underdog story, right. and what a surprise the mm-hmm. underdog wins. Yeah, but we both know that if you read this text, you don't even have to have like a seminary degree or mm-hmm. any kind of real textual criticism. Mm-hmm. It's very plain mm-hmm. that the underdog the whole time was Goliath. He didn't stand a chance. And I want to read a verse when David finally goes down to, uh, you know, confront the champion of Gath, verse 45, it says, you come against me with a sword, a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, you have defiled him. Mm. So the question is, is there power in a name? Uh, I would say 
depends on the name. <laughs> I think uh, G, the, the concept of God um, being the name above all names, mm-hmm. I think that's something that we use in a Christian culture a lot and we don't even really define it. We don't really understand it. It's one of those Christianese types of concepts like the name above all names. Um, names denote a level of power. And it's not just names. Um, we often talk about um, the concept of titles, right? Uh, Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus's last name. It was his title. Right, you know, right. it's not, you know, uh, it's, it's Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the coming one, the one who was to be the end of all the tragedy that we have suffered from the garden, right? It's a huge name and it's a title. Uh, that's why we wouldn't talk about um, David as a Messiah figure. It's a, it's a foreshadowing of the Messiah who would come from the lineage of David. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big deal. And I think when we invoke the name of God, that's why in the, in the uh, 10 commandments, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Um, I think it's very important for us to understand that God's name is powerful and needs to be uh, used in a reverent way because it represents not, uh, it's not just a name, it represents the being of God. And that is not something that should be, uh, you know, taken lightly. Right, and neither does David. He he describes it as being, Absolutely. you're defiling him. And so you kind of talked about it a bit, how David, we see in him this almost, uh, I think we've said it before, you've said it before, this like Holy Spirit cockiness, right? Mm, that, yeah. That, is most arrogance. Is, yeah, oh, mostly good, maybe a little bit bad, <laughs> but certainly for the right reasons. Yeah. And he's got swagger. He's got swagger. Yeah. And so we see uh, in that verse we just read that Goliath is standing there. Mm-hmm. You described him as a tank. He's mm-hmm. huge. He's got a spear. <laughs> yeah. He's got a, a sword and a shield. Mm-hmm. And so he was prepared to fight a conventional war. Mm-hmm. At that time, that's what war looked like. It yep. was the. I think we're still in the Bronze Age. I don't know if we are. On the cusp of the Iron Age, yeah. Right. So this is what war looked like. But David was equipped to fight a spiritual war. And so how do you, how would you parse that, that um, that the the battle we fight Mm -hmm. is always going to look different than the battle that's waged against us? Is there something about that that we can learn in our everyday lives? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see more Christians have what I would call a Holy Spirit swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we still live in a defeated uh, way in a lot of in a lot of senses. Uh, we live in we represent the name of God, and that's what David was going out there doing. He was coming with the full weight of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on him, and he knew. That you know, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? So, I would love for Christians to start. Um, and, and Holy Spirit swagger sounds a little arrogant, but what I'm saying is this: is that like, um, we can't bow to the culture all the time. We, we got to stand up and be like, you know, this is right. It's always been right. It always will be right. And you know, if God is for me, who can be against me? And I think David does this. He's fighting the spiritual. I mean, we look in Ephesians um, and we, 
that whole passage about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, like you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Goliath was a dude, a big dude, but he was a dude. That was not where the battle was. It was against the principalities of powers, spiritual darkness of this world, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. Right, and you would almost imagine that there's some kind of veil that you could pull oh, back. Imagine. And Oof. above this little battle in a valley, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the angels of darkness and light were probably, you know, I'm being a little bit uh, dramatic here, but going no, at it, you, you yeah. see this thing. And we don't see it with our eyes, Yeah. but God has equipped us to fight that spiritual battle. Right. And I think one of the problems with that spiritual battle is the one who was sitting in the uh, the king's tent was fighting it very personally in the same way. There, you know, it took David coming out. I mean, they, the way they talked about it is that whenever Goliath st- stepped out of the ranks, the Israelites ran like check your diaper kind exactly. of exactly. Yeah, they were peeing a little bit on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just want to offer an encouragement to everyone listening that. Just as the spirit rushed upon David, he mm-hmm. was anointed. That's what happens to us when when we get our salvation. That right. same anointing. We weren't anointed to be the king of Israel, but that anointing to um, be able to participate in the spiritual war that's going on. Right. We we have that same protection. And I think it's interesting when you you know uh, we weren't anointed to be king, but we were anointed to be representatives of God. Sure. Just as David was, um, the Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ. That's a, that's a that's a um, a civic understanding of representing uh, a kingdom, and that's what David was. And now, on mass through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, uh, on Pentecost after Pentecost, um, we have a similar role uh, of being representatives for the King, and that Spirit resides in us. So yeah, we should we should definitely have a Holy Spirit swagger. And speaking of spirits before we leave today, you mentioned in the sermon that there is a spirit of antichrist, mm-hmm. that there is this, it's almost like as there is the body of Christ, there's mm-hmm. this body of antichrist, there's these spirits that mm-hmm. inhabit our world. I think of a, you know, like people say the spirit of a Jezebel mm-hmm. or the spirit of Herod. And we see that manifested in my my belief in this uh, culture of death that we have in abortion in our yep. nation. So when you say these spirits are around, mm-hmm. is this like an idea in our mind or are these actually the spiritual forces that we fight against? Like, are they real today? What do we have to worry about there? Well, the nice thing about if we're in Christ, we have nothing to worry about first off, but yes, it is real. I, I believe it's real. I think it happened in the, I think the first spirit of Antichrist, I mentioned it in the sermon was the serpent in the garden. Mm-hmm. He, come, he came against uh, the representatives of God, the ones of the image bearers of God, and he, uh, he tempted uh, with pride. And it's, it's this concept of, of elevating humanity to the level of Godship. That's what he's trying to do. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's what uh, Saul had a problem with. Um, and we just see that time and time again. We see it... Um, even embodied in in religious systems. I mean, you see the spirit of like so obviously through the 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 Sanhedrin, yeah, right? right. They, they, there's nothing more potent antichrist than the people who came against Christ, and um, and I, I think it's one of those things that we're going to see we're going to see over and over and over and again in the culture until it's embodied once again by another. Uh, person, which will be 
what we consider to be the Antichrist from Revelations, right? But it's the spirit that's it's pervaded human uh, humanity and humanism throughout history. And uh, I would love to be able to uh, give credit to whoever I heard this from, but somebody once told me that mm-hmm. all countries or nations or people are theocracies. Mm-hmm. We're just debating who the theo <laughs> is, right. who the God. And so just to put a little bit of a point on that, it's really simple for, for a people is if you lead like Saul, mm-hmm. you're going to have the spirit of the Antichrist, this, that evil spirit. Mm-hmm. Or when you leave like David and you're indignant mm-hmm. at an insult about your God, mm-hmm. that's the spirit of God. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it, it just is that binary in that simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think we are in that battle, you know, um, every single day, especially as in the West where we have this concept of a, you know, a constitutional Republic, right? Mm-hmm. We are, we are the rulers of this country. The people are, right. so it should be at least. I don't want to get political, but but we we have to battle that every single day because we form what our culture is going to be in a political form, in a social form, uh, in every way. So we as Christians, we need to step out a little bit, get a little Holy Spirit swagger in our step, and and not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and and live it out Amen. boldly. Um, so that uh, we can form a more perfect union. We can form a, a society that is going to be um, uh, Christ-centric, I think, Messiah-centric. And so God's just asking his people, all you have to do sometimes is just step down into the valley mm-hmm. and let me do the work. Yep. The battle belongs to And the we Lord. can rest in that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, we thank you very much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have... I think four more weeks to go in this sermon series on David. And we're happy that you joined us today. Please remember to like, follow, or subscribe us on whatever way that you consume this podcast and have a great week. God bless. God bless.